Hello and welcome to the Tech Map Podcast. My name's Andy Barjuri. Today I am talking with Matt Nelson, who is the CEO of a video production company based in London in the UK. And Matt and his team have been doing something really interesting with facial recognition technology and using that as a way to create immersive video experiences. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and let's get on with the show. Matt, good morning. Welcome to the Tech Map Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Andy. Good, good, good. We have been speaking about video or the use of video in marketing, and I really want to explore that in a bit of depth today because I know you're doing some interesting stuff around facial coding. But before we get into it, would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you got to where you are? Sure. Um, so my name is Matt Nelson. I'm the CEO of Irresistible Films and Green Bullet Films. Um, so Irresistible Films, we're in our ninth year, uh, established in 2007. Uh, we came together uh, as four entrepreneurs working in various roles in film with an understanding that film is starting to be used, you know, a hell of a lot more online. Um, and we, we could see there was a bit of a gap in the market. There were a lot of agencies and film companies that were literally taking TV adverts and just putting them online. And there was the other end of the spectrum where they were you know, commissioning really small budgets, like £3,000, £4,000 to create engaging film that lives online. Um, but because it was treated with such sort of low regard, it never really had much of a success rate. So... Uh, as irresistible, we came together on the understanding that if we could take the aesthetics of TV advertising, but we understood that people behave differently online, and we had a much smaller amount of time to actually get our hooks into our audience, if we could blend those two practices together, then we had a winning formula. And it was really successful. Um, we started in February 2007, and we doubled our turnover and size of staff year on year for about four years, because... In those days, we were going in to meet with um, the digital wings of above-the-line agencies. So a good example would be Play, MNC's uh, uh, digital wing. And, you know, you're, you're speaking with guys that had, you know, a few months previously been managing website builds, and all of a sudden they're being charged with creating film campaigns for online delivery. So we were going into agencies <laughs> explaining how the film process should work in terms of signing off you know, scripts, art department, various aspects, educating them about the process and cr- creating the content for them. So, so, yeah, it was really successful. We were, we were, you know, speaking a, a new language in those days, but then obviously by sort of 2010, 2011, uh, everyone caught up. Um, so, so, vid- and- so video is obviously enormous now, but what you're saying there is that initially video online was being given to people responsible for looking after a website so webmasters and digital folk as opposed to video producers yeah because that sort of transition you know between tv advertising and video actually lives online well initially it was it was all the online teams and you know prior to you know video content being used predominantly i suppose in in banner ads and then that whole sort of viral explosion that sort of happened 2006 2007 most of the guys that are working um in digital were you know building banners building websites building like reactive games so all of a sudden they're being charged with managing film processes and you know they it was um 
outside of their vocabulary, I suppose, mostly. So it was it was a great time for us. You know, we like I say, we doubled turnover and, and staff year on year for about four years. And we were one of the first companies to use um, Facebook Connect. We were also one of the first companies to do uh, the full HD 1920 1080 expandable banner ad, which got banned pretty quickly because once you clicked it, it took over your whole screen and played an ad. So it was, it was quite a... From a quite, user uh, experience point of view, horrific. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty brutal experience. <laughs> Lovely um, piece so of video. Was, uh, yeah, but... Film con- content was good. I don't suppose it was too bad, but... Yeah. You know, as a film company, we've prided ourselves since we were established on, you know, understanding how to tell a story and the use of empathy and, you know, to to get an audience to emotionally connect to a brand or a character. But we've prided ourselves on platforms and technologies in terms of where you tell a story online and how a technology can help you tell a story. And over the, you know, last couple of years, Emotional technology, emotional recognition technology, has become a huge part of our landscape um, because it's it enables you to tell bespoke stories that are crafted for an individual's uh, emotional archetype. Uh, you know, it's really quite an interesting so, uh, technology. So, tell me what you mean by emotional recognition technology. What what does that actually mean? Uh, and then how do you how do you apply that? Because what you're saying there is you can create what I think you're saying is you can create video that is tailored towards a person's emotion. So it's almost uh, we're we're getting into the realms of perhaps programmatic video here, where you you produce a piece of creative that's aligned to an individual based on their behaviours and characteristics. But that doesn't seem feasible within video. So tell me what you tell me what you mean. Explain it a bit more for me. So. Emotional recognition technology um, uses facial recognition technology, but it's underpinned with cognitive science. So it's using the device's camera or your webcam, so whether that's in your your um, phone, your tablet, your laptop, and it's combining this use of technology with academic research into empathy surrounding entertainment content so this enables us to detect audiences expressions big broad expressions like smile disgust confusion arousal surprise and with this data we can tailor our content in real time to create the greatest possible impact so the idea is that when the technology is scanning your face using the camera in your device it's looking at very small minor muscle movements and certain muscle groups around your eyes, your face, and your mouth. And this is where the cognitive science comes in. By by you just simply watching a piece of content, your face is betraying your emotional response to this. So even if you've got the best poker face going, we can tell by very small muscle twitches what your emotional state is. And more importantly than that, we can understand what your emotional reaction is to the content you're watching. Mm, okay. And and I think what's really exciting for me as a filmmaker is that we can then create a non-linear branching narrative film experience. So let's say we create um, you know, the Coke film experience and the whole audience starts off on the first scene. Depending on how you react to a story beat within that first scene, so let's say there's like a car crash and I have a positive reaction to it, I enjoy that visual feast of the car crash, but you have a negative um, reaction to it. 
that storyline can then split into two narratives. So I go down the right path, you go down the left path. And this can happen over and over again until we're left with a final piece of film content that's been designed for the type of person you are, the type of emotional reactions you're having at that moment in time. And what's really great about that is that, you know, with advertising, you know, we're trying to work out who our audience is. And, you know, with Coke, you might say, okay, my average Coca-Cola drinker is 24 to 44. This is how they behave. This is what they do. Now, even with a huge breadth of insight into who your customers are, there's still a whole breadth of different human beings. So like Dove is a great example. We work a lot with um, Dove uh, through Have Helia. And if you've got a huge amount of data on your Dove customer, you know, her name's Susan, she's like 27 to 50, this is what she does. There's all different types of Susans in the world. And they're going to have different emotional reactions to the content. Mm. So if we can then create one story that all starts in the same place, but very quickly, within like a minute to two minute or you know, top end three minutes, get to a sequence within that that content that is designed to resonate emotionally with that person, then that that is really ultimately what we're trying to do on on each advertising campaign. So I get it, and I think obviously connecting with people individually based on their response to the creative is is incredible and will probably generate a better response to mm. your message but how do you make that work at scale when when are you applying the technology is it before the creative is put out is it is it as part of the the pre-testing to make sure you're optimizing the campaign because that's fairly typically how neuroscience is used yep. or is it on the fly during a campaign to change the creative during the campaign execution not quite you clear know, on how that works that's a really good question i mean you're, you're you might notice in the news over the last couple of months there's been a lot of people that have started to do deals with emotional recognition companies um mediacom partnered up with a with a, a emotional recognition company recently um Crowd Emotion, who I really respect, Matt Saluzak, the CEO over there. Um, I've done a bit of work with him on Spotify. And they're a really good company. They're working with the BBC in that pre-content testing phase. They're also working with the BBC to sell content to other markets. So whereas you used to have you know, uh, a testing audience sitting in a room, watching a bunch of films, mm. filling out sheets of paper on a, on a clipboard, now you've got people watching content on an iPad and we're recording what their true emotional reaction is to this stuff. And off the back of that, there are commissioners in Australia buying content that their audience testing has actually come back. And these people have vocalized. I would not watch this piece of content, but the technology has actually seen that they have a guilty pleasure with this content. <laughs> and actually they would watch this content, but they're not going to tell you about it. And, and, by understanding that insight, this Australian broadcaster has actually bought this whole series of uh, BBC um, programs that they wouldn't have done otherwise, and they're on their third commission for this particular program. So, yeah, you can you can use the technology in the concepting phase. You know, you can you can create animatics and show it to a test audience and start to work yeah. out. Okay, this is what they like. This is what they don't like. This is what we can change. You may well find that. On the whole, your audience is liking your 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 TVC, but there's a certain point where the audience drops off. I mean, there's an old story about 
when these when this technology was first created, someone put a scene from James Bond into the technology to test an audience, and they showed it to a bunch of guys and girls, and it was a scene where. Um, it was James Bond, he was with one of the Bond girls and they'd gone from you know an action sequence in a hotel to the bedroom. The classic seduction scene. Totally, yeah. totally. And you know, as you might expect, the male audience uh, stayed fully engaged throughout this whole <laughs> sequence. But there was, a, there was a shot transition between like a bathroom to the bedroom. And as the shot exits the bathroom and we, we then cut to the bedroom, it, the shot lingers on a toilet lingers on the toilet seat for just like half a second and the female audience half of them dropped off when they saw that toilet seat associated with this you know romantic scene half of them became disengaged it killed the atmosphere it the did toilet. now you know if you were <laughs> eon and you were james bond's production company if you had that insight you could just clip that shot by half a second and the whole of your audience would have stayed engaged throughout it now that type of data that sort of information is very very valuable to advertisers and and agencies because if we're only creating a a 20 second piece or a 30 second piece and we're going to lose our audience you know a quarter of our audience are lost halfway through because we're spending too much time on the toilet seat by clipping that half a second off the whole audience stays engaged well, that's a bit of a no-brainer, and I've seen mm. studies in the past where it's not so much they switch off at a toilet seat. It's it's do they recognise? Do they see where the brand comes in in the advertising mm. there? So, and and do they remember the brand? Do they have any kind of emotional attachment to the brand based on whereabouts it appears in the creative? And and that I kind of get in a, in a in a thirty-second ad, and also I suppose in a shorter online ad as well, or even a longer piece. But going back to that branching the story because that's really interesting is you can obviously tailor the creative around the emotional response you're getting from your audience how do you apply that in real life advertising i suppose because the the concept sounds great but i just can't get my head around how that would actually work in practice yeah i mean i'll be be honest with you you'll you'll get different responses depending on who you talk to i mean um, my creative director at irresistible paul maynard he loves the technology he loves what you could possibly create but he also sees that there's huge parameters put around this because every idea won't work with this technology and it does mean you have to tell stories in a very specific way we created something with vml london last year called the bentley inspirator and that was the first ever non-linear branching narrative experience Uh, and that that was tricky um so what we had to do in that instance was we took research from Bentley to say our customers fall into these three types of brackets. Uh, and it was modern, classic, and flamboyant. This is the sort of style palettes their their clients have. Right. And we then are sitting with the strategy guys and the creative guys, and we're trying to work out a creative route that's still really engaging just from the pure you know film perspective, but that actually is going to fit with this technology because we need to show film content where there's going to be imagery that we can actually scan your emotional reaction against that's Mm. going to have meaning. Otherwise, we're just randomly throwing a bunch of stuff together and we're saying, right, if you have a positive valence or engagement to this clip, it means that you should go to clip Y. But unless we're really putting the psychology and the cognitive science into it, it becomes meaningless um, so it, there, there is a real science to this. I mean, ideally, when we are in that concept stage, 
a creative team has come up with a big idea. They've said, right, we like this technology. We want to tell a branching narrative film experience. And it might be like, um, it might be like a car, it might be like a Citroen ad where you're going to have a whole big chase scene going on. And depending on how you react to these different moments and story beats, that chasing is going to split up and split up and split up. And at the end, we're going to reveal the car that's right for you, the car that your emotional reactions have told us that would be right for you. Got you. Okay. So it could be a different type of Bentley. It could be a different brand, a different model. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. could, it could be something like a, a beauty brand where we're going to show like um, real women in real situations and the last section of the ad and the end frame has a bespoke selection of products based on your emotional reaction to the things you've seen. So, we are starting with a big idea first, but then, you know, this is where you've got to sit down with your film producer, the cognitive science guy and the psychologist to say, okay, if we're showing this type of imagery, the type of emotional range in terms of responses you're going to get back is going to be in between X and Y, and this is what it means. And then we're really getting this kind of like upside down pyramid of blocks. And we're saying, right, everyone starts in block one. And if someone reacts negatively to block one, then they go down route A. If they if they get a positive one, it's route B. And we're we're mapping this out, not only with the story, but in terms of mm. the emotional data and what that means. Because overall, what we're really trying to create here is, yeah, first and foremost, it's got to be an amazing film experience. Otherwise, who's going to watch it? Why is anyone going to share about it? But second of all, it's got to be really useful to the brand. So with the Bentley project we created, you had this kind of um, James Bond villain type of a presenter exploring about what luxury means to you. And as you react to these different clips within it, you go through different chapters. Uh, and ultimately, you get to a 3D render of the Bentley Bentayga that your emotions have chosen for you at that time with the paint that your emotions have chosen, with the veneer, God, the wheels, yeah. okay. the dashboard that yeah. your emotions have chosen at that moment in time, which is really interesting. Um, and if you're Bentley and you've pre-sold this Bentayga for two years, well, I suppose another way to really make profit is, and especially for Bentley, is to sell more bespoke um, items within the car. So you, you're going to go for a more expensive alloy wheel. You're going to go for a, a more expensive um, leather interior. So it becomes a, a plethora of things for them. It becomes they get to be the first and the best in the luxury car market by creating this experience that's never been done before. But they also get insight into their customers, what their taste palettes are, their, their type of emotional archetype. So, you know. so that I mean that sounds like a really interesting way for a brand to think about creating a product that matches its consumer wants and needs, I suppose. And and that Bentley example sounds fascinating. So, when did you apply that, and how do you get people to actually uh, agree to having this facial recognition technology applied? Because <laughs> I, I imagine most people, particularly at that end of the market, aren't that excited about sitting in front of a laptop with their the webcam on whilst they're watching <laughs> a piece of creative. How does that work? That's a really good point. You know, I think that's the same sort of challenge you get when you're trying to create a Facebook Connect experience or anything where I'm required to hand over either an action or some sort of information to to, to view an experience. Um, I think from the get go, you've got to you've got to sell your audience on the fact that by turning on the camera on the device, 
so they're going to get a greater experience. Mm. So with the Bentley project in particular, the technology wasn't hidden behind the scenes. The technology was was right at the front of the experience. You're going to take this film experience. We're using emotional recognition technology by watching this experience. We're going to craft your Bentayga. It's like, okay, all right, this sounds fun. And it was a downloadable app, uh, only available on iOS. Uh, they had 10,000 registered users and, you know, uh, they got a huge uptake straight away. And you've got people downloading that app, you know, within 30 seconds, they're taking this experience. And then at the end, they get shown their Bentayga of all the various bits and bobs and then they can go through and do a test drive. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're, if you're going to do this as a downloadable app, you know, that, that, that's, that's quite a lot of action to take. So people have got to be quite Absolutely. aware and vested in, in what their reward is. But you can also do these as um, as browser-based experiences, um, which is a little easier. It's just, you know, the box will pop up on the camera. Do you give permission to turn your camera on? But again, where's the reward for me as the customer, mm. or as, as the audience? So another piece of work we did, uh, which was the first application of this technology, was a campaign for OMD Entertainment based out in LA. Right. They work with Disney Pixar, and the project we were working on was for the Inside Out movie. I don't know if you've seen that I movie. I have seen that. What a lovely movie that is. I took oh, my kids to see that. <laughs> Get, gets me every time. Yeah, it's a um, difficult one for for dads, that is, I think. Oh, yeah. Emotional yeah, dad, new dads. eyes are leaking. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, well, as you know, that that whole film is based about, about the five emotions that yeah. live inside that little girl's head. So great use of emotional recognition technology. We create five games starring each one of those emotion characters using the technology. So one of the examples was uh, the joy game, Jump for Joy. Now, the idea in this game is you're trying to get joy to jump up and grab these memory balls. You know, And if you grab loads of memory balls, you're getting onto the leaderboard. If you show feelings of actual joy, she's really jumping up and down. But if you're giving her a very like like limp half smile she won't she won't jump so these games are all focused on the kids and the parents of the kids and they are pushed out through all the regular disney channels uh, and again the, the technology is at the front amazing okay that sounds like a really interesting application as well so how what was the, how did they use the information they gained from that study or was it just out of entertainment just to create the games and perhaps more engagement with the movie yeah so so with the um with the inside out movie because it's aimed at uh, kids they're not they're not taking any of that data there's a especially in the US there's quite tight regulations on that got you you know that, that's a really good point in terms of data I mean, we can measure a lot of data with this sort of stuff. I mean, I'm more interested in the storytelling and the creative aspects, but in terms of the data you can get out of one of these experiences, I mean, you can you can pre-select what you're reading out of your audience. So let's say you're a travel brand and you give your audience like a two-minute film experience and it's all centered around the you know the holiday of a lifetime you could record certain reactions from your audience to build up a profile of them as individuals if they're clicking the um, terms and conditions and allowing you to do that. Yeah. Or you can aggregate that data anonymously and start to build up an entire entire audience profile to really understand what your audience think. You know, I mean, with this sort of technology, you know, they're, 
there's certain territories in in the world like Germany where you've got to dump all that data afterwards. There's other territories like the UK where as long as people are opting in and clicking yes to the terms and conditions, then you can you can take that data. And I suppose it's a little bit like you know the whole uh, recording of cookies. So when you're going mm. back onto a travel website, there building up a bit of a profile of you and an understanding of what you've been searching for before and highlighting holidays that might be more uh, preferable to you. So we're kind of in that, that space. But so, um, so I guess as a, as a video creative, you know, you're now having to be a lot more careful around data protection and data regulations, probably a space you hadn't re- really thought about until maybe five, six, seven years ago and it wasn't really an issue for you. Completely, you know, and um, I suppose ultimately it's really the, the agencies and the brands that have to deal with this more than us, you know, ultimately we're, we're there to, to create the film experience. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think we have to be careful about that use of data because, you know, as a human being, you can hand over some quite highly sensitive and valuable data about yourself as a human being. You know, ultimately you're, you're almost uh, borderline, you know, using psychoanalysis to some degree you know you're if you're showing your audience a, a range of different images and sounds and recording and what their emotional reaction is to it uh, i as an audience unbeknowing because my face betrays what my emotional response is will hand over uh, a fair amount of um <laughs> of valuable data so you know that whole star wars thing you know with great power comes great responsibility is that star wars <laughs> oh yeah it's definitely a yoda <laughs> I can't believe we got to Star Wars today. That's brilliant. Oh, I try to fit it into most conversations. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a really interesting space. And are we you seeing a, a lot of growth in this area? Are there are there certain brands that are really going for this, and others that are just testing the water? Or who should we look to apart from, of course, Bentley and Disney that you've mentioned already? Who else is really jumping on board with this stuff? I've got to go to you. It's a bit of a slow burner. There's, you know, we've we've got out and met with you know a lot of agencies. And I know, like, from speaking to people like um, Matt Saluzak over at Crowd Emotion, you know, they're speaking to a lot of brands. We've had quite a lot of interest. Um, I think budget is an issue with this stuff because if you're going to do these projects, you're going to do them well, they're not cheap. You no, know? I can imagine. Um, I mean, even the content for the, the Bentley project was, you know, over £200,000. And I suppose if you're creating a three-minute film experience with multiple narrative routes ultimately you're probably filming 10 maybe 12 minutes so you know in terms of like what an, an agency's used to paying for a three-minute experience you know it's a lot bigger mm. um we're talking to a few agencies at the moment and we're having those conversations you know they've come back to us with an idea that's gone back to the brand other agencies that are servicing that particular brand have all come together because it'll be cross-platform and, you know, you're talking about £400,000, half a million pounds. I think there's a nervousness as well. I think people are waiting for someone else to do it and come back with the results and publish those results. Uh, but as you might expect, people that have commissioned these projects are um, quite protective of that data. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Why so, would they share the, the results of the risk they've taken? That's for their commercial benefit. So, mm. so with that in mind, in terms of that measurement – you know, how are you measuring and justifying the value of the extra expense to create this kind of more experiential campaign? What What are the metrics that typically clients are looking for in this space? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's the creative aspect. It's to be able to create an experience that 
technically, functionally, can alter the narrative based on how uh, an audience emotionally responds to that. I think that's still right now, I think that's the most compelling part of this technology, the experience aspect of it. Mm. I think secondly, you know, there are there has been some results published by various businesses to show the type of insight you can get. But I don't really think there's been a, enough of it yet. Um, I think, you know, we're still going to have to catch up and there's going to have to be a few more brands and agencies commissioning these types of projects until there's a wealth of data to really back that up. Mm. I mean, most of the conversations that we have with agencies are on the on the experience. Um, and it's not only online and in app. We've also been talking to agencies about in-store experiences, um, which is quite interesting, especially within like the holiday sector, you know, Rather than looking at brochures, people pick up an iPad, they watch some film experience, it mines some emotional responses, then it starts to show you various holiday package, packages that might be suitable for you. And I suppose there's still a bit of a gimmick attached to this as well, which is definitely one of the negatives we have to overcome. Because, because we go in, we show people examples of work that we've created, and people go, oh, this is amazing. But then how does it work in the real world? What am I really going to get out of it? Especially when you're talking about the types of budgets we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're kind of talking at the, the, the brand performance end rather than the actual what's the, the, the hard and fast sales impact of this kind of campaign, I suppose. But I think that would be where it would be really, really interesting to see, like, for example, with a travel agent, what the uplift is in terms of sales of holidays, in terms of value or volumes based on that experience of going through that uh, that, that video, that branched video that tracks your emotions. I think that would be a really, really interesting study. I'd love to see some uh, results, some data on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm totally with you. Um, I mean, there, there's that kind of um, uh, experience that I think would be rather interesting. And there's also the the kind of like self-discovery aspect of this that we really find to be interesting. So if you're – cars are a great one. So, you know, when you're going to buy a car, you know, what do you end up doing? You end up driving down some A-road motorway and there's like, you know, four or five car garages strung along some road. And it's like, you know, you're, you've kind of got an idea of, of what you're trying to buy. And, you know, in some cases, you've already made that decision and you're going to go down there just to test drive and, and be sure. But in other cases, you really don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a massive car head. So I'm re- really looking for the, the top Trump data that's on the, on the, on the bottom of the car. <laughs> so I'm yep. looking for, right, what is the petrol consumption and how many cameras are on this thing and where's the gadgets and da-da-da. And sometimes I've got an idea of the car in my head that I want, but it takes for someone to show me some various models uh, and some other examples of engine type and and yeah. the little um, uh, bolt-on bits of tech you can get before I actually really realise what I want. I mean, I can be a bit of a nightmare with this stuff. Sometimes I don't know what I want until I know what I don't want. And I think maybe in-store self-discovery experiences could be really useful to industries like the motor industry. Mm. You know, if you could create... Um, an experience where you sat down, you know, in like um, a constructed sort of like fiberglass thing that's all branded up. You sat down, you watched this film for two to three minutes. 
it then shows you some pre-selections on the type of car that's right for you, and maybe some different things like on wheels and paint, and gave you gave you a starting point for you really to say, actually, actually, I do like this and I don't like that, and a bit of a car configurator that you can then swap about. It takes away the whole thing of having to deal with a salesman, which I know a lot of people don't like. Uh, me personally. As soon as I feel like I'm being massaged by a car salesman, <laughs> I sort of want to run away. That's but exactly yeah. what I was thinking as you were talking there. Is this this sounds great from a consumer point of view for a big ticket item like a car, but for yeah. for the brand, for the for the dealership, you know, they they want that opportunity to engage with you and start to sell and consult through that sales process. Why would they spend a couple of hundred grand creating this when they could hire a good salesperson? He could probably more likely more effectively close a deal that way by leading you through that decision-making process till you sign the dotted line. Yeah, well, I, I really think it's down to the type of person you are. So me personally, as soon as I feel the eyes of the salesman on me, I, 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 I start to want to walk away. As soon as I feel like I'm being sold something, it puts me off. You know, I, I want to come to that realisation myself. And if I'm using maybe one of these car configurator film experiences that gives me some insight that shows me some options i start to work out what i want i feel like it's my decision when really the car experience is like a digital car salesman it's showing you some options it's getting you to the place but i don't feel massaged i don't feel pushed by it Mm, Um, so again i think it's down to who we are as people and our emotional reactions to these situations I think it's a really fascinating area and, and I, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more examples from yourselves and other companies in this space using the emotional recognition technology to create those experiences. But for those that are at the budget end of the market, because you mentioned that you have green bullet films as well, which is micro budget, small mm-hmm. films. What are the sort of trends? Because I'm guessing you can't achieve that in those sort of budgets. But what are the sort of trends, patterns, new things you're seeing in, at that end of the market? What are people asking you to create for them? Well, in terms of Green Bullet, I mean, Green Bullet was set up as a as a response to a lot of client requests last year. I mean, we were we were speaking to a lot of agencies that were, you know, doing a hell of a lot of work in the you know the Twitter kind of space, and they were using uh, self shooting directors, one man bands, and when it was good, it was really good. You know, these people are very um, cost effective, they're very flexible, agile, you know, you can ring them up and get them out onto a shoot the same day. Yeah. Um, but what they found was that if they went back to, you know, the Bob, the self-shooting director, and he's on a job in South Africa, but he's got the graphics for that campaign on his computer at home, then the agency are like, oh God, we're going to have to, you know, commission someone else to recreate the graphics we've already got. And there was some sort of, you know, logistical issues with that. So, you know, a couple of our clients said, look, if we could have the cost and flexibility of these self-shooting directors, but the service of a production company, um, that would be our ideal solution. So we created Green Bullet to work specifically on micro-budget, fast turnaround, Got social you. film content, interviews and events. And that content is really going to live online for like a few weeks. Or in, in the case of Periscopes on Twitter, you know, one day and it's gone. And uh, what we're finding now is that, like, don't get me wrong, like, you know, if you're going to make a big, if you're going to sell like a brand new BMW, you're going to do it on a big TV campaign. It looks amazing. And you're going to want to watch that on your 52 inch flat screen TV. If you're creating, you know, fun, irreverent content, you know, then great. That's going to come out on your online channels. But for that type of content that has that real 
small, you know, fast turnaround shelf life, especially when it's aimed at a, a, a younger audience. I don't think production value is at the forefront. I think so long as it's cool, it's funny, it's bite sized, it does its job, then that's what your audience really cares mm. about. So we're finding that we really need to be agile, flexible, uh, and be able to respond. I mean, with a lot of um, social departments from an agency, when they're creating that responsive content that's going to react to something that's in the press, then time and agility is, is, is key. You've got to be quick, otherwise you'll miss the boat on on that uh, news agenda, I suppose, won't you? Yeah, completely. So we have to approach things in a different way. I mean, mm. with irresistible films, and if we're making like a big TV ad, then there's a whole process we're going to go through. You know, there's there's the whole meeting the directors, treatment, storyboards, planning things out. It's a rigorous process to make sure that this this crafted film that we're looking to achieve is, is done in the right way. And, and post-production takes a long time, and you'll have the creatives come over, you'll sit in a grade, you'll make tweaks and changes, and, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a long process because you're crafting really high-end art. With Green Bullet and with the social film content it's more about the idea and the speed in which you can get it out there mm. so you're getting that impact you're getting those likes you're getting those views you're getting those retweets and then and then you're out again got you mm. okay matt thanks very much that's really interesting i'm certainly keen to find out some more and see, see some more examples of the emotional uh, recognition stuff there i mean we've talked to in the past at tech maps on the podcast and in our meetups about using neuroscience technologies but it's mostly been in uh, pre-testing and, and uh, ad pre-testing and that sort of stuff but i think it's such a fascinating area and i always whenever we talk about it i always get a sense for i can see the value this is adding why is it not more widely adopted and i think that what you've described there is in terms of you're, you're getting out there and talking about it, but not necessarily getting so much business out of it is interesting. And it, it, for me, it kind of spells opportunity for those marketeers brave enough to take a few gambles here and test it out and see what it does for their campaign performance. But, but maybe, maybe what we should do is uh, Matt, why don't you tell people how to get in touch with you if they want to pick up the phone or if they want to get in touch and ask you a bit more about this and find out some more about it. Best way I suppose is, you know, simply picking up the phone so you can reach me in the in the office, and I'm on zero two zero seven two four seven six one six three, or you can contact me on my email, which is matt m a t t at irresistiblefilms dot com, which is i double r e s i s t i b l e films dot com. Perfect. So it sounds like the first port of call is a phone call to you, just to find out a bit more, Matt. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always good to Perfect. to jump on the phone, but I'm I'm flexible, so Perfect. you know. Matt, listen, thanks so much for joining the podcast. I hope you will come back at some point and tell us some more when you've got some more case studies or come along to one of our meetups. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Cheers, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Tech Map Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to find out more or to get in touch, please leave a comment on SoundCloud or a review in iTunes or get in touch via www.thisistechmap.com. Thanks very much.